John 20:24 20, to 31. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It is indeed an honor uh, to be with you this morning. This is a maiden voyage for me. Um, I had an opportunity to preach in the Osborne Street building one time back in the in the late 80s. Uh, And uh, now I have the privilege of speaking in this facility. It's a privilege to accept an invitation. And it is also a privilege to share the word of God. And for those things I am grateful this morning. Just wanted to mention a couple of of things. Um, Some of you will uh, have fond memories of Eileen Johnson, whose memorial service was held here on February the 5th of this year. On Friday uh, of this past week, we had her internment at Elkhorn, Manitoba, and we were able to be there with the family and to share in, in that together. In 1970, Kathy and I were married. I graduated from college, and we made our way to Regina, Saskatchewan, uh, to work with, uh, with Bruce Tietrell and Walter Straker. I, I guess I consider it a real privilege this morning that Bruce and Grace are sitting here up in the, the front row uh, this morning. Uh, Bruce has been a great mentor for me and, uh, and a great encourager as I have uh, uh, proclaimed the gospel and shared the good news about Jesus. And so I am... I am ever grateful for, for his advice, his encouragement, and his example. Because without those things, uh, we may not have been who we are.
There are a lot of things that uh, we could share with you this morning, but the things that I have selected to share really come from the two verses at the end of chapter 20 of John's Gospel. John says that many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You likely have an outline before you this morning. If, uh, if you wish to follow along, uh, that would be encouraged. If you need to doodle on it, I guess that would be fine as well. But uh, I hope that you take it home, and I hope that you reconsider the things that we want to share with you this morning. Because we have been given to us a, a marvelous message. I like to think of God's Word as a miracle book. Prepared for us because that's exactly what we needed to help us to get from where we are to where God wants us to be. And he wants us to be with him in heaven. And so, as we think about it this morning, may we think about it in these terms. In the signs that John talks about in this passage, I believe is the revelation of God. A sign, of course, is a reminder of some truth. And so there are a number of things that we would think about this morning concerning things that remind us of truth. Have you stopped to view the rainbow lately? And have you stopped to consider the promise? The promise that was made by God to Noah that I'm not going to destroy the world this way again. And so I will give you a sign. In Numbers chapter 21 and verses 4 through 9, the children of Israel are complaining to Moses and to Aaron, and they're having a great deal of difficulty, and they're unhappy, and all of a sudden there are snakes appear in the camp. These snakes were... uh, or dangerous, because if you got bit by them, you died. And after several people had died, the rest of them were coming to Moses and, to Aaron and saying, Listen, <laughs> would you commission God, would you talk to God, and would you take away the snakes? Our people are dying. And God told Moses, Fashion a snake, a brass snake. And put it on a pole in the midst of the camp and tell the people that when they get bit by the snake, they look to the pole and to the snake on the pole and they won't die. It's interesting to me that God didn't take away the snakes. But he did give them a provision by which they could be saved. Later on in the New Testament, Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. A sign. In Numbers chapter 7, we, we sing a song here. I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. You remember the line of that song? The Philistines have been in battle with the children of Israel. 
And they have been successful in defeating Israel, and they've taken the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, they've taken it into the place where Dagon, one of their gods, dwelt. And in the morning when they got up, they went to the place, and Dagon was on his face on the ground. And they set him back up the next morning. He was on the ground again, but his head had been taken off and his hands were broken. All was left was the torso. And they came to the conclusion we need to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. And so they took it back to Israel. Israel. And they're in battle again with Israel. And it's interesting to me what happens in this particular chapter. Samuel says in chapter 7 and verse 3, Samuel speaks to the children of Israel and he says, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone. And he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. It's interesting to me that Samuel didn't say, God might. He said, God will. They went into battle, and Israel were victorious. And Samuel took a stone and set it up and said, This is the Ebenezer. This is the God of help. This is to represent a sign that God will deliver us. I guess the greatest sign of all that we have is the gift of God's Son who came to earth. His birth was like no other. He wasn't conceived in it at all like any of us were conceived but rather by the Holy Spirit of God. His birth wasn't spectacular. It was in a barn, in a stable. His life, for the most part, until he was some 30 years old, wasn't much different than anybody else, except for a little event that happened when he was about 12. And there he was with his parents in Jerusalem, at the temple to worship. And he stayed around at the temple while they went home. Well, they didn't get home. They just got a ways away. They soon miss him, and they return. And the words of Jesus to his parents were this, Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? His life was about doing the business of his father. And his death was for you and me so that we might have hope of eternity one day. Many other signs did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples. Many are the signs to bring us and to remind us of truth and to reveal to us God. Belief is the reaction that signs are designed to produce. 
Belief does not come by accident, but rather it is a reaction. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If belief is the reaction that signs are designed to produce, then we have some examples in Scripture of that very thing. And so we would be reminded of, of Pharaoh of old and, remind, and be reminded of the fact that Moses had been gone for about 40 years and he returns, he returns to ask Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go. And he's not about to do that. And so Moses says that God's going God's going to uh, God's, God's going to change your mind. He's going to cause you to believe. And we know the count of the ten plagues that were given, and the final plague that was given that said that that particular night, as God passed over, the oldest and that family were going to die. And so, for Israel to prepare for that particular event, they needed to kill a fatted calf. And they needed to put blood on the doorpost and the lentils of the house. And God would see it, and the firstborn would be spared in the house. I guess I often think that if my parents had lived in that particular era of time, I'd be glad that they sprinkled the blood. Or else I would have been dead in the morning. Pharaoh came to believe after that and let the children of Israel go. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 54, Jesus has been crucified and there has been many things that have taken place. And Matthew records this for us. He says, now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. As we think about belief and as we think about faith, I guess we need to sometimes ask the question, how important really is it? And so we're reminded by the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Did you get that? (laughs) Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I mean, that, that sums it up pretty good for me and I trust for you. That the faith that we develop is something that is very, very valuable for us. To have. And so then, we have the signs that reveal God and remind us of truth. We have belief, which is the reaction that signs are designed to produce for us. And then we have life. Life is the result that belief brings. Life 
is the result that belief brings. Let's consider some of the things about that life. In John chapter 1 and the first three verses, this is what John says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus says that the thief comes to kill and destroy, but I come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. In John chapter 14, the disciples are are concerned, they're upset, their hearts are heavy, because Jesus has told them that he is going to go away. That's not the news that they wanted to hear. They were getting quite comfortable about traveling around with him. They didn't want him to go. And so Jesus begins the 14th chapter as recorded by John. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Then down in verse 6 he says, I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He truly is the life. Over in First John, chapter 1, and verse 1, John, as he writes this letter, He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. Verse 2. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you may may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. The life was manifested And John says, we have seen and proclaim that it is eternal. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14. Do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God. Above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ 
I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Holding fast the word of life. When Paul, of course, was writing to the Roman Christians, he gave them uh, much information concerning the whole the whole concept of baptism and what that does. And in that in that chapter, he he makes this declaration in verse four of chapter six. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. In newness of life. So then, these two short verses in John chapter 20, at the conclusion of Jesus' conversation with Thomas. Thomas, who, when told by his fellow apostles that they had seen Jesus, think about this, they had told him that we have seen Jesus, and he says, unless I can put my hand into his side and put my finger into holes in his hands, I won't believe. And all of a sudden, he and the rest are there together, and Jesus appears. And Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, come here. Here's my side. Here's my hands. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, blessed are you because you've seen you have believed But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then he gives us these two verses that I think are so powerful for us to put to memory. To put to memory. Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Those are powerful words, folks. Powerful words. And they come to us because John understood. John understood how important it was that the signs would bring about about belief, and belief would bring about life. A life that was special now. I mean, we... We, we have a marvelous situation now. We've gathered together this morning to praise God in song and remember around the table and to fellowship with each other. Marvelous. Life is marvelous when you're a Christian. But the life that he came to give us was not only what we have here on earth, but it was something that will be eternal in nature. And so I want to conclude this morning by looking at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. He saved us, 
not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The blessing of being an heir, a joint heir with Christ, is that we will see each other together in heaven. And so this morning, may we be encouraged to cherish the words from this book, that the things that are written there will cause us to believe. And not only cause us to believe, but to anticipate with hope the life now and that which is eternal. May God bless us as we strive to do that and as we encourage each other along the way. Let's stand together as we sing. Holy words, Lord, reserve.